Let food be your medicine and medicine be your food. Welcome back, everybody. I hope you're having a wonderful day. This is Dr. Rizvi, and today is our official first episode of the Hippocratic Oath. The topic we're covering today is, is basically a household name. Your grandmother may have called this the sugar. If you haven't get it, guessed it by now, today's topic is on type 2 diabetes or insulin resistance. We will be covering disease prevalence, management approach using Western conventional medicine, Eastern medical supplements associated with improving blood sugar levels, and my favorite, timed pattern eating, also known as intermittent fasting, which if you've been following me on my Instagram, Dr. Dadabas Rizvi, you will be able to see that I'm very passionate. I've made numerous posts and videos regarding uh, intermittent fasting and what happens internally, and I'll shed some light on this during the end of the podcast. So type 2 diabetes or insulin resistance, this is, much part, this is part of a much larger syndrome called metabolic syndrome. Metabolic syndrome is a cluster of conditions associated with insulin resistance, and it's very important, and we'll shed its, you know, we'll make another episode regarding that in itself. But today, let's talk about the household name diabetes. So in conventional medicine, type 2 diabetes is coined as a chronic, which means a long-term progressive, which means worsening with time condition due to a defect in insulin secretion or how your body recognizes the secreted insulin by its receptors called insulin resistance. It affects more than 34 million U.S. adults and it is estimated that over 7 million of these adults are underdiagnosed, mainly because the utilization of a primary care physician and screening for these type of diseases is not as, you know, popular because we're not using the resources of preventative care Instead, most patients use urgent care settings, emergency rooms to kind of treat and manage their long-term conditions later on to find out that, oh my God, I have type 2 diabetes or, you know, maybe I'll start eating better and get healthier, uh, but maybe they don't look for what type of conditions are associated with this. So this is why we actually open our clinic. We want patients to be educated and we want them to utilize our services so we can be, you know, ahead of the game here rather than chasing down a disease after there's already some resistance. 34 million U.S. adults is a quite a big number. The prevalence of this condition increases with age, and thus we call it a progressive condition. But, you know, do the two correlate? You know, does our body secrete naturally less insulin over time? Or does type 2 diabetes uh, cause insul insulin resistance over time, mainly because of hypersecretion, meaning the pancreas is burnt out, sick of secreting insulin. And look at it like any other medication. You know, if you take one ibuprofen and then do it for days on end, you know, eventually you may need two to bring the same results. Uh, it's any drug does this. Uh, if you take caffeine, for example, coffee, maybe the first time you sip a cup of coffee, uh, it wakes you up and it takes, uh, eventually you need, you know, uh, five cups just to get going in the morning. So this is why we coined it a progressive syndrome. And this is why it's important to stay to the end of the episode where we talk about timed interval eating. So does type 2 diabetes cause a burden to the healthcare system? Uh, the U.S. healthcare system spends billions of dollars per year on medical costs associated directly or indirectly with type 2 diabetes. Now, this could be anywhere from the actual diagnosis, the lab work associated with it, 
to medications to cover along with insulin, uh, along with insulin pumps or glucometers, the syringes, the needles. Uh, then this also goes to the diseases associated with type 2 diabetes. So think of like the microvascular, the diabetes eye disease, the retinopathy, the diabetes nerve disease, the neuropathy, uh, or even progressive diseases associated with it. Like think of the kidney disease, like the end-stage renal failure associated with type 2 diabetes. Or what about the big vessels, you know, the, the heart and the brain, cardiac disease and strokes. So, the, you know, type 2 diabetes is, is a simple thing. You know, I have high blood sugar levels, but it is correlated with very severe disease if it's not properly managed. And conventional medicine, they actually treat this as a symptom, meaning they treat it as a, a syndrome, right? So let's, let's control the sugars. And um, in our practice, we actually look for the root cause of what's going on here. Because type 2 diabetes, we weren't born with it, we've developed it. So we, we focus more on the root cause of type 2 diabetes. And this is, this is why, you know, I think we, we plan on making a difference in our community and then, you know, spreading like wildfire. So what does conventional medicine have to say regarding the cause of diabetes? Well, it's not one particular thing, right? So diabetes mellitus is linked to obesity. It's also linked to overnutrition, meaning too much meals, too many meals, increased frequency of meals. Diabetes is linked to inactivity. Think of like the, the working environment we live in, the stationary jobs, the cities we've built where we're not walking enough, we're not taking public transportation, we wake up, we grab our cup of coffee, we eat our donut, our bagel, we sit in the car, we drive down to work, and we sit on our desk all day to come home to sit on the couch. Type 2 diabetes is associated with inflammatory conditions, those triggered by obesity. Remember, fat is one of the most inflammatory things in our body, and you know they say that type 2 diabetes is triggered by this. Uh, they, there is a genetic predisposition to diabetes, but this is something that doesn't guarantee that someone's going to develop type 2 diabetes. Sounds like a lot of people these days, right? More so since the pandemic began. I mean, we've, we've become more stationary. So, in my opinion, the most common cause of diabetes in today's society is over-secretion of insulin and a saturated liver associated with our eating patterns. So we said that, you know, all of these different things are associated with type 2 diabetes. But if you look at it from a bird's eye view, uh, obesity, overnutrition, inactivity, inflammatory conditions all sound like the same thing. You know, we need to be a little more active and a little more proactive in how we eat and we provide nutrition to our body. We need to make better decisions at the grocery store. We need to shop at the periphery of the grocery store rather than the highly processed aisles full of like, you know, boxed goods that are made in a factory somewhere using uh, the most fakest of ingredients, you know, in today's society. So, you know, it's a condition caused because of a, a bunch of things rather than one particular thing. So does it happen overnight? You know, can you wake up one day and develop diabetes you know you go to one party and have a cheat meal uh, and you know wake up and have insulin resistance well the research actually imp uh, indicates quite opposite uh, there are studies showing that it takes 10 years plus to develop some insulin resistance and that's why there's a term called pre-diabetes 
and it's based on your, your, your fasting blood sugar levels. So it's really important to pay attention to that this condition is, is something that happens over time. So why is this important to discuss? Why are we even talking about diabetes? It's, it's a household name, right? Just got to go on the treadmill, run a little bit. Why do we talk about it? Well, based on the CDC, diabetes alone is the seventh leading cause of death in the United States. But the diseases associated with diabetes, such as large vessel disease, remember I talked about cardiac and stroke? Those are ranked amongst the top five leading causes of death. Let's not forget about kidney failure, which also ranks in the top 10 leading causes of death in the United States. So diabetes puts you at a risk of dying early. And if you're listening to this podcast, you may want to live a long and happy, healthy life. So make sure we pay attention on those diseases associated with high mortality. So yes, diabetes or sugar, as now, has, you know, it's a household name called the sugar. Um, it is affecting all of us. And this, is, this should be discussed. And that's why I wanted to speak on this topic on episode one in our podcast. So now that I've probably freaked you out regarding diabetes, when should we go visit a doctor for a checkup? See, your primary care physician is trained in screening guidelines to help prevent disease based on the evidence. We use different committees designed to and structured to guide evidence-based screening modalities. One, for example, is the United States Preventative Task Force, and based on their recommendations, there is a level B evidence which has indicated that there is fair amounts of evidence to support the recommendation that adults aged 40 to 70 and who are overweight or obese be offered screening for abnormal blood glucose levels as part of their cardiovascular risk assessment. The ADA, or the American Diabetes Association, recommends screening should be done at age 45 and continued every three years thereafter. The ADA recommends testing children who are overweight for diabetes every two years starting at the age of 10 if they have two of the following risk factors. One, family history of diabetes. Two, non-white race. Three, signs of insulin resistance. Or four, maternal history of gestational diabetes. In terms of pregnancy, the USPSTF, that's the United States Preventative Task Force, recommends screening for gestational diabetes in asymptomatic pregnant persons at 24 weeks of gestation or after. But as stated earlier, diabetes or insulin resistant takes years in the making. So in my professional opinion, we should screen earlier and we can offer those services in our office. And if you live far, just ask your doctor to check your blood work. So how do we diagnose diabetes? Before we evaluate what is considered abnormal, I always tell everybody we need to really understand what normal is. And just as a guideline, we'll use the CDC's recommendation of normal. So a blood sugar level of 99 milligrams per deciliter or lower is considered normal. And current guidelines define the diagnosis of type 2 diabetes as a fasting glucose level of greater than 126 or a two-hour glucose tolerance test. That's where we give you some sugar and we measure your sugars two hours later. If you have a result greater than 200 in the case that you may be diabetic. We also look at a hemoglobin A1C test and if a result is greater than 6.5% then you are considered to be diagnostic for diabetes and a result of 6.5 is correlated with an average blood sugar level of 140. So you already meet the diagnostic criteria. 
Now, besides the A1C test, all abnormal blood sugar results should be confirmed on a second occasion. So just because you go to your doctor's office and have high blood sugar levels, this should not indicate that you have been diagnosed with diabetes unless it's been repeated. Now, those numbers are running high. So there's another disease called prediabetes. It's all the same syndrome, but it's really how we categorize the diabetes. So prediabetes is a condition when the blood sugar levels are higher than normal and below the cutoff for diagnosis. So think of your blood sugar levels running between 100 and 125. This is a good indication that you've already started to develop insulin resistance, and it's a great opportunity to start making the lifestyle changes to help reverse this condition. So if you go off the screening modalities recommended, you wait till you're already overweight and you meet the age criteria to diagnose yourself with diabetes, I think it's important to do yearly tests, although it may not be as cost effective, but you know, a simple blood test is pretty, pretty cheap. Uh, it's a good way to determine if you're starting to develop insulin resistance and we can start really honing down on those lifestyle changes to help keep you healthy. It's like a wake up call. So as stated earlier, based on conventional medicine, diabetes is chronic and progressive but there's a lot of big dollars from pharmaceutical companies spent to help prevent the progression of disease. I will tell you that type two diabetes or insulin resistance is reversible. And although it could take some time to reach your goals, this is definitely a controllable condition without the need of medications. It's just gonna take some effort. It's gonna take some reconditioning of how we approach our daily living. So before we go to that route, let's talk about what conventional method uses for managing diabetes. And then later on, we'll talk about how Eastern supplements affect blood sugar levels before diving deeply into lifestyle changes. So based on the evidence when managing diabetes over a long period of time, you know, we use the A1C lab test as an assessment of the average blood sugar over three months span. The average lifespan of a red blood cell is about 120 days, so we can be confident that our patient's sugars, based on the A1C, is pretty accurate. So tighter blood sugar controls reduces microvascular complications. Remember, the microvascular disease associated with diabetes is like retinopathy, the eye disease, or like nerve damage called neuropathy. A1Cs of 7 to 8% can help prevent the macrovascular complications associated with diabetes. This is like patients developing heart disease or stroke. Now, if you are living with someone with diabetes or personally dealing with diabetes, then you may have heard of the medication metformin. This is still the first line agent for glycemic control and additional agents should be used based on individual needs. There is also recommendations to consider cholesterol medications like a statin for blood cholesterol controlling along with obvious cessation of risky behaviors such as smoking to improve cardiovascular risk and all-cause mortality. There is good evidence for metformin. I just want to make sure our patients are living optimally and may not require this medication. So from a medication standpoint, there are eight non-insulin drugs used to treat diabetes with new meds obviously in the pipeline and amongst them metformin and SGLT2 inhibitors, which is a sodium glucose co-transporter 2 inhibitor, decreases all-cause mortality and cardiovascular mortality. This could get a little complicated, so I want you to pay close attention. SGLT2 and DPP4, also known as dipeptidopeptidase 4 inhibitors, 
have also shown to improve mortality. What is the importance of this? When someone is diagnosed with diabetes, we want them to be on medications that help keep them alive longer. And we use evidence for that. So when your doctor says maybe you'll benefit from metformin or one of these newer drugs, there is a reason to help keep you alive and healthy while simultaneously controlling your A1C level so you prevent disease, you live longer. And that's our conventional approach using evidence-based methods. But what about insulin therapy? You know, people often get put on insulin when they don't respond well to tablets. And, you know, I've never seen someone actually be taken off of insulin. And over time, insulin has just been, uh, their dosages have been increased. Actually, it's quite interesting. Insulin is associated with obesity over time. So what about insulin therapy? One, it does not decrease cardiovascular or all-cause mortality despite reductions in blood sugar levels and hemoglobin A1c. Now, that's pretty interesting because you're telling me that my labs look better, but it doesn't affect whether I live longer or not. It's like telling someone with a pneumonia, hey, take some Tylenol. You don't have a fever, but we didn't do much for your bacterial infection. All right. Number two, there is an association with increased mortality with insulin usage. That's interesting. So it doesn't make us live longer. In fact, it can make us die earlier when we use insulin to treat diabetes. And this is all evidence-based, and you can do your background check on the research. And if you have any questions, please leave a review below, and I'd like to show you the evidence. Number three, once daily is less effective at lowering A1C compared to biphasic twice, or prandial, pre-meal insulin, but it was associated with less weight gain and hypoglycemia. That's interesting in its own self. So the whole point of insulin is really to make the sugars look pretty, but it doesn't make you live longer. It's associated with more weight gain when you use it more frequently and at a higher dosage. And we'll dive deeply when we talk about the hormonal effects of these, these things like insulin and how they are associated with weight gain at the end of the podcast. So that's our conventional approach for diabetes. What about supplementation for diabetes? Some patients with diabetes or who develop insulin resistant may use supplements to help control their blood sugar levels. Herbal supplements are available, but their regulation is not monitored unless there's an adverse reaction, and that's when the FDA comes in to evaluate. And many supplements contain ingredients that can interact with prescribed medications. That's why I recommend it should be done under doctor's supervision. As you know, some herbals and vitamins, if used improperly, can be associated with adverse reactions. And diabetic patients are more likely to use complementary and alternative medicine to help control their disease. Psyllium, for example, is used to alleviate constipation, improve lipid profile, and symptoms of irritable bowel syndrome. But patients that are diabetic and taking this supplement may find that psyllium interacts with insulin products and be associated with hypoglycemia, low blood sugar. This is because psyllium prevents the absorption of nutrients ingested, and patients using the supplement can space the dosage if they are on both insulin and taking psyllium. Garlic. It increases insulin secretion, also improves blood pressure control, and lower cholesterol. But interactions occur when patients are on a cholesterol medication or metformin. If patients are on blood thinners like warfarin, it is not recommended because garlic can increase the bleeding risk. Chromium. It increases insulin receptor sensitivity. It should be used with caution when combined with insulin, 
chromium enhances tyrosine kinase activity and may increase the number of insulin receptors, but when researched, it's been pretty inconclusive that it's beneficial. Some patients may refer to Chinese medicine and herbals. Let's take Chinese foxglove, for example. It increases insulin secretion and decreases blood glucose levels. Its adverse reactions are typically related to the stomach. But there is drug interactions, especially if patients are taking potassium-sparing diuretics to help control their blood pressure. Chinese yam increases insulin secretion and it decreases blood glucose. There's no adverse reactions really reported when researched, but if you're on a sulfonamide, Chinese yam is considered to be a contraindication. Cinnamon bark, it's an insulin sensitizer. It decreases fasting plasma glucose levels. But if you have a bleeding disorder or if you are pregnant, cinnamon bark should be avoided. Most of these herbals should be avoided in pregnancy and should be done under supervision. So please refer to your primary care doctor or your pharmacist and have them kind of look at your medications and how they correlate with the herbals. Korean and American ginseng help control sugar levels, increase in insulin secretion and sensitivity. But if you're having trouble sleeping, I would avoid this as your adverse reaction is insomnia. Fenugreek is quite popular. It decreases fasting and post-meal sugars, but it can cause an allergic reaction. It can also upset your stomach with diarrhea and increasing in flatulence. Fenugreek should also be avoided in pregnancy. People use herbals and supplements in many different ways. Seeds and salads, leaves are used in curries and teas are made. Fenugreek delays gastric emptying and it increases the number of insulin receptors. There is some effect on fasting glucose levels and cholesterol levels. So it may be beneficial, but just check in and see what meds you're on. If you're from India or Pakistan, you may have heard of karela. In America, it's called bitter melon. It improves glycemic control and adverse effects are hypoglycemia, dyspepsia, and diarrhea and should be used in caution in pregnancy. People also use cinnamon. It increases insulin and it promotes glycogen synthesis. So just a recap, people use vitamins, supplements, and herbals to help complement their medical management. But not all are the same and if you're on medications, not all can cause same reactions. So just check in with your pharmacist or doctor and see which one is beneficial for you to take to help supplement your blood sugar levels. So let's go to my expert opinion on how to manage diabetes. For one, it should be done under doctor's supervision, especially if you've been diagnosed over a long period of time, have already been initiated on medications and prescribed insulin. See, diabetes takes years to develop and reversing the disease won't happen overnight. As stated earlier in the podcast, long-term usage of insulin is associated with increases in weight and increases in dosages over time. Remember, you're treating the symptoms and not the problem. So what's the problem with diabetes? Well, I think diabetes is related to hyperinsulin secretion and the hormones involved in the fed state versus starvation period is really how we should focus on managing this problem naturally. So patients that are part of our practice, we teach them how hormones play a major role in your metabolism. For example, when you ingest a meal and your sugars are high, your pancreas secretes insulin. And in the opposite effect, when your sugars are low, we use glucagon, 
cortisol, adrenaline, and growth hormone to help regulate sugar levels. So a key concept to take here is that the body uses hormones to help regulate the sugar and they store it in the liver in the form of glycogen. Once the liver, which is, you know, it has a limit to storage, once it's exceeding that limit, excess sugar is converted into triglyceride and that leads to the metabolic syndrome. Remember I spoke about everything, these conditions are all similar. Metabolic syndrome, fatty liver disease not related to alcohol, diabetes, insulin resistance, obesity. It all relates to how we live our lives and how we're kind of approaching nutrition, eating patterns, and the type of activity we do to help control our symptoms. So in this topic, on this podcast, we've discussed the conventional approach to diabetes. We've discussed how to diagnose it, how to monitor it and screen for it, what herbal supplementations should be used, and how we can manage it. But in our next episode, we'll dive deeper into the lifestyle modification associated with diabetes management and talk about timed interval eating, also known as intermittent fasting. If you enjoyed this content, I'd like you to share it with your friends and family because I think a lot of us will benefit from this. And we're all dealing with glucose intolerance, you know, sugar problems, and we're all getting sicker as we age and we think we're getting treated, but we may be just treating the symptoms and not the underlying cause. So that's it for this episode on the Hippocratic Oath. I hope you enjoyed it. Please leave a review below. Give us five stars if you enjoyed our content. You can follow us on our Instagram. You could also visit our website at floridaadvancedmedicine.com. We're very available and we pay attention to your reviews and how you interact with us. You are part of our family and we are looking forward to bringing you more content and more information to help you live a better, more quality-oriented lifestyle to help you keep yourself off of medications. So, till next time, my friends. Adios.